Well, you guys get the uh, lots of blessings this week of guest speakers. We had uh, Pastor Andy Dean with a great message on Sunday, and tonight we have another guest who is not so much of a guest. We've seen him every year for the last many years, and um, he's been a missionary in Austria for 16 since 2005, so do the math, <laughs> yeah. 17 years, and uh, so we, we actually have been doing ministry together for a long time, Ken mm-hmm. interned here at the church, he was actually one of my school teachers, um, like 20 some years yeah. ago, actually he only had me for study hall, which doesn't really count, <laughs> yeah. but um, <laughs> no, so uh, just a blessing, we've got to experience great uh, things in ministry together, and the Lord moving in in great ways, both here and in Austria. And so, would you guys welcome Pastor Ken Meyer? Okay. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. And uh, yeah, so we'll be looking at a psalm today, Psalm ninety-three. It's a topical message. If you need a Bible, some ushers are coming around with one. Just wave them down. But yeah, I'll go ahead and pray as we begin, all right? Well, Heavenly Father, we just come to you in humility, knowing that we need you knowing that we need your encouragement each and every day. And so we pray that we'd receive that tonight, and may you speak through your word and also speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. But uh, just a little bit of a background on things where I'm at, what I'm up to, what God is doing. Yeah, I went over to Austria to serve as missionaries in 2005, and I've been serving both at the Calvary Chapel over there in Vienna but also at a ministry called The Oasis, which is reaching out to the refugees that are new to Austria. And uh, both are an incredible blessing just in different ways, different kind of groups that we're reaching. And on one hand, we have the Austrian people who you could say um, they have their basic needs met. And uh, then on the other hand, we have refugees who are brand new to Austria who have come a, a great distance, some from as far away as Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan, uh, right on through different countries of the Middle East, and um, others come from different regions of Africa, uh, Nigeria, Somalia, some as far west as Morocco. And this year, there's been quite, a, quite an influx of people from Tunisia as well, so it's really interesting how uh, the people groups are, vary so much, but most of them are quite broken by the time they arrive in Austria, have gone through so many troubles. They're just in a very different place than your average Austrian in the middle of the city of Vienna. So, yeah, it's a unique situation. And uh, what has been interesting transition for me this past year is that uh, the Calvary Chapel's been there for over 20 years now in Vienna, and yet our pastor, Shea Swanson, moved with his wife, who's from Sweden, uh, to Sweden last summer. So he appointed myself and the other assistant pastor uh, in char- to be in charge. So we've been now co-pastoring the church for this past year. His name's Brian, Brian Harrington. Uh, he used to be a pastor in uh, Jerusalem and in uh, Haifa, in Israel, actually. So it's pretty interesting background in, in, for him. But he's been now serving in the Calvary Chapel of Vienna. So we've been doing that together now for, for this past year as co-pastoring the church. 
And yet, he's also at the same time finishing up his law degree, and he just foresees that as of next summer, most, very most likely, that he looks to finish that law degree, take the bar exam, which would be in California, and probably move there and be in a tent-making position where he'd be working somewhere, but also serving in ministry that way. Uh, all that to say, uh, we're going to be in a time of transition in this coming year, and I'll be stepping into the role of the pastor, and Brian will be my assistant as of September, so as to adjust to things that when he does leave next summer, if that actually happens, then it won't be as big of a deal when he, he leaves, and I'll continue in the role of the pastor. So, yeah, it's a special time, and it's, well, we also have uh, another change coming in that uh, my wife is expecting. So we have number three on the way. So in October, we're, we'll uh, be welcoming the little guy into the world. And yeah, our, our daughter is Evelyn. She's nine. Oliver is seven. And then we have one on the way. So yeah, it's going to be quite a year, I, I think. But you can pray for us. We've kind of forgotten what it's like to be uh, looking after a baby. So anyway... That's just where we're at, a little background on things. As we look into Psalm 93, though, I'll share some reflections on that psalm, just five verses, and share a little bit about ministry in Vienna. So let's read. Psalm 93 says, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. So first of all, there's the simple but important point that the Lord reigns, and nobody can change that. Uh, some people, like maybe many people, don't like that, but they can't change the truth. Uh, nobody can. Nobody can, can dethrone God Almighty, try as they may. Even we, well, we observe from a distance from Austria, but it seems like various people here in America are trying to turn more and more people away from God, away from His truth. But it cannot be done. The Lord reigns, and that is an unchangeable fact. No matter how much society may rage against it, may rage against Him, it is an unchangeable truth that He reigns and is almighty and is on the throne. And He's there with open arms for everyone. So that is... The wonderful truth, too. And some accuse Christianity of being so narrow. Oh, your Christians are so narrow. There's only one way and this kind of thing. But on the other hand, maybe there is it's, it's, it's some truth to that. But on the other hand, he is op he's there with open arms for everyone. So you could say, oh, it's so intolerant. But he's, it's just really not the case in the sense that God is there with open arms for anyone who will turn to him. So that is important to remember when someone might say, oh, Christianity is so narrow and this kind of a thing. Well, he is actually accepting of everyone who will turn to him in humility and admit that they need him. Now, people, individuals, society, 
They could, you could rage against him all your life even, but uh, you're not going to change who he is. And God is just there waiting for each person to surrender, right? He is there with these, these arms wide open, waiting for them to, to surrender to him and admit that, yes, you are the truth, your word is true, and I need you. And so however much people might try to resist God, he cannot be changed. He's unchanging. And as this, this, this psalm mentions towards the end too, he is clothed, he is, his, a holiness adorns his house. And uh, yet he's welcoming to us. There's those that write books uh, trying to push atheist views out there, but again, you cannot dethrone God. However many books might be written against him, his word cannot be made void. It never will be. And uh, all the intellectual arguments that are out there, uh, some are very well phrased, very well expressed at a high level of, of intellect, but he cannot be done away with through those intellectual arguments. And I feel that in the end, it's often a heart issue anyway for those people. They just are, are, are struggling with the pride that is within. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm not uh, such a high degree of intellect that I could hang with Richard Dawkins or some of these other intellects that have a, a very uh, challenging argument against Christianity. The things that they come up with takes men and women who are, who are gifted to, to go toe-to-toe with them. Uh, I don't have, I don't find, generally speaking, I don't find that I have that particular gifting. When it comes down to it, if I'm on the street with somebody, sure, I do my best to uh, debate with them if that's where they're at, if they're really pushing their intellectual argument against God, and I feel that God has sometimes given me the words to speak. Other times I left a l- I'm left and walk away with, from the discussion a little bit like, ah, man, what, what could I have said there? It could have hopefully turned out differently had I had a better argument, but at the end, all we can do is do the best to share the truth and, and let God do the rest, right? And we, I'm sure you're seeing it more than myself because I, I live far away, but the society is rapidly changing here in America, but God is not. And I just encourage you to not become despondent and, and dismayed through the changes and just put your head down. Uh, let's, let's instead do the opposite and recognize that what Satan means for evil, God can use for good and not lose heart and um, just continue to reach out to the lost. And I do want to share a few thoughts from the New Testament um, so you can put your bookmark or something in, in Psalm 93, but from going on up to Hebrews chapter 4, uh, thinking of those arguments, those moments when you might feel yourself a little shorthanded or unworthy of, a, of, a, of, of convincing someone who doesn't want to be convinced perhaps or is at least apparently very opposed to, to God's truth, just... Re- Take this to heart from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Here it's written that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of whom to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So his word is living and powerful. 
you'll, you might run into people sometimes who have a perhaps great argument and uh, feel like they've got one up on you, but you can just quote Scripture because it is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and sure, the person that you're discussing things with might not yet believe that, might not yet see it that way, but hey, it's kind of a opposite example, but if you've got a gun in your hand and someone thinks it's not a real gun and they say, oh, it's just a toy gun, I'm not scared of you, well, you could show them it's a real gun, you know, and then they would know. But um, not that I suggest that, but with the truth of God, it is a two-edged sword, whether they believe that yet or not. So you can quote Scripture and thereby it's great to memorize some, have it in your your pocket, so to speak, have it in your mind, and, and share that with people because you never know how it, it might just stick with them. And with that in mind, maybe Mike has gone through things with you like this before, maybe not, but if you're taking notes, you know what, I'll just throw it down because it's really fairly simple, just a few verses to, to, to remind you of. It's called the Romans Road. Uh, you know, if you have a chance to share with somebody, if you have a chance to take out your Bible, if they are patient enough for you to do that, you can even pull it up on your phone these days, of course, or Google it and have it. Get started off with Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23, just point out the truth. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Boom, we're sinners. We're all in the same boat, myself, yourself included. Nobody's perfect. Most people will agree with that. It's been very rare, at least in my experience, it's been very, very rare that I've met someone who said, no, 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 I'm perfect or whatever. Hardly ever happens. Uh, so we'll, most people will agree, yeah, sure, I am a sinner. I've, I've, of course, we all make mistakes. We all sin. We, you know, we lie. We do things that are wrong. Um, then you could turn over to uh, Romans 5.8. Part of the good news, but... God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8. Next page, Romans 6.23. Now, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. So, there is a price to be paid for our sin, but... God gives us this gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We all, well, most people are working. They are earning a wage. Well, the wages of sin is death, but God gives a gift. This gift cannot be earned. It is not a wage. It's not something that you're going to earn. It is a gift. And if we're someone to try to pay for it, it would no longer be a gift. So, yeah. Then you go from Romans 6.23... Turn over one more page, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So that was Romans not, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Well-known series of verses to share the gospel called the Romans Road, but... If you don't know, you didn't know it, now you do. If you did, it's a good refresher. And I just encourage you to pray for those opportunities to share with your neighbors because uh, it's clear we all need the truth. Your neighbors need the truth now more than ever. And God has put you where you're at for a reason. And Pastor Mike 
doesn't have your neighbors, you have your neighbors, you know? We can't just leave it up to those people that are full-on in ministry to share the truth. They're, they're your neighbors. <laughs> so, hey, from the end of Matthew 5, if you greet your brethren only, what more do you do than others? Don't even tax collectors do so? So, hey, reach out to, to, to your brethren. Greet them. Take that step. And even those that are beyond your, your brethren and uh, those that are outside of the faith. And, of course, a lot of people these days have wildly different perspectives than we do. But at the end of the day, if they don't know Jesus yet, of course they have a different perspective than we do. So we've got to start there. Got to start with, I feel, got to start with who Jesus is, where are you at in your relationship with Jesus, and all the other issues of society, who you're going to vote for or not vote for, are fairly peripheral compared to whether you know Jesus or not. So that's where I try to begin. So from Hebrews, from this, this, these couple verses I read in Hebrews a moment ago, yeah, it pierces to the heart. It is a two-edged sword, sharper than any two-edged sword, and all things are open to the eyes of, to whom we must give account, and everyone is going to need to stand before him someday. We all need his grace and forgiveness. And so, yeah, pray Pray for those people who have a perhaps wildly different perspective than you. And, uh, yeah, I just hope we don't, you don't, yeah, become downcast or, or worse, just talk about it amongst yourselves, about how bad society is becoming. Uh, we're called, I believe we're, we're, we are called to do more than that, or we are called to reach out to our neighbors and do what we can to, to share the truth with them, especially about who Jesus is. And it is grieving to see what's, what's going on around the world, really, but um, somehow it seems here in particular. And also take heart from, from Romans 1.16. If you feel like, ah, I don't have the words to speak, um, I'm not an evangelist like you, Ken, or whatever, or Pastor Mike, or Pastor Mark, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, who am I, kind of a thing. Well, you know what? Again, God has put you where you're at for a reason, and his truth is unchanging. His truth is that sharp sword. And, and Romans 1.16 says that the truth of the gospel, it is the power of God to salvation. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And so, sure, you might look at your different friends and family and, and think, oh, there's no chance. They're so opposed. You might feel like it's not going to happen, but you never know what God is going to do through his word. And it is the, the power of God to salvation. And it's true someone might be from a completely different uh, religion, perspective than you, but the gospel, it is the power of God. And so don't sell it short. Don't just think, ah, oh, that person is too far gone or whatever. God is can and is and can change even the hardest of hearts. And sometimes those who are fighting hardest against it are at that last step before surrendering. You just can't see it with your own eyes. I know for us in Vienna, sure, there's a lot of people around us that are, we look at them and we think, uh, how could they come to faith? Um, there's a lot of people, in, 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 especially in Vienna, who do have their needs met. Um, it is a fairly well-off city, um, but spiritually speaking, very dark. Uh, it's 
the, the general background is one which is Catholic, uh, traditionally Roman Catholic, and yet every year thousands of people are officially signing out of the Catholic Church in Austria. Not that they're believing in another church or going somewhere else necessarily, they're just leaving that church and um, are in the world. Uh, Whenever we evangelize, we meet, tend, to meet, tend to meet people who say, like, oh, whatever you believe is fine. We're all going to just be okay in the end, and that kind of perspective. So there is that, and yet God is at work and is changing hearts. Our fellowship is fairly small, um, 30, 40 people on any given Sunday. And, yes, the city of Vienna, however, is like almost 2 million people. So there's a lot of people out there to reach and uh, sometimes we feel like, well, they've got it all, so it seems like sometimes what more, you can't really just bless them with, I don't know, some of the practical things. They have their basic needs met, so what do we do but just try to share the truth with them, try to share the gospel with them, and let God change their hearts and show them that, no, there is something you don't have. You're lacking a real relationship with Jesus. Uh, many of the others are people who've come from abroad, but Vienna becomes more and more international every year, um, much to the dismay of some Viennese. Some people over there would rather that it just remained, you know, just Austrian kind of a thing, but there's not much you can do about it. It's just becoming more and more international. And uh, some of them are refugees, of course. Uh, but yeah, I've been really blessed this year to get to disciple one young man from Iran who is now a believer, but... He uh, grew up in Iran, an only child, uh, from a Muslim background, and yet even at a young age, somehow, he could just see that Islam was not the truth. He was just looking at it objectively, uh, learning about the life of Muhammad, and he didn't appreciate how uh, violent he was in, in things that he did, and felt that this wasn't right. So later, when he was a teenager, um, a couple of Christians, he got to know a couple of Christians, and these, these two guys gave him a part of the New Testament. I mean, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in one little booklet. No cover, really. It, you know, it didn't say uh, Holy Bible on the front, uh, because uh, if, if you don't know, Iran is one of the, it's in the top ten of the worst persecuted countries for Christians in, in the world. So you've got to be careful about how you share your faith you still have the freedom to speak. I mean, you have the freedom to speak in any country. It's just that the consequences are worse in certain countries for opening your mouth and sharing about Jesus. So uh, sometimes they can be imprisoned if they are caught evangelizing and trying to convert, if, if they're caught trying to convert a Muslim, uh, and others full-on receive the death penalty. And uh, Iran is one of the leading countries, unfortunately, when it comes to the death penalty. And... So that was where he was at. That was the country he was in. And he was reading the, the scripture and totally amazed by who Jesus is. For him, it was very clear that Muhammad was wrong and Jesus was right. Uh, you look at Jesus and he's just helping and healing people, used no violence whatsoever, didn't force anyone to follow him. Uh, unlike Islam, he could see that you're being rather somewhat forced to, to live that way. And so he was drawn to Jesus, but at the same time, um, bless their hearts, these two friends didn't feel comfortable inviting him to their home group Bible study. And uh, it's easy to judge and think, ah, oh, they should have had more faith, but, you know, we don't live in Iran. 
and I don't know what it's like for them. So he found himself not even able to attend a church. He, you can't just walk down the street and go to a church as, as a person who's Muslim. It's even on their ID card. I mean, it's, you know, printed on their ID uh, what religion you are. So anyway, he ended up deciding he needed to leave. So here he is, uh, just 18, 19 years old, uh, new to Austria, and uh, he somehow he met someone who knew of our church and was he was recommended to attend our church and so there he was last uh, late last summer early fall and i ended up getting to disciple him this whole year through and he came to faith and it was just really exciting and we baptized him this uh, spring along with a few other people but yeah it's the the power of god to to salvation and uh he, he's not going to be dethroned. His truth is unchanging, and nobody yeah, can, can dethrone him. So if we, however, on the other hand, try to put ourselves up on a throne, we're not going to last there very long. But God will humble us when we try to exalt ourselves. But going back to Psalm 93... The Lord reigns, he is clothed, he has girded himself with strength, and yet sometimes, like it talks about here in verses 3 and 4, the, the floods have lifted up. And as we all know, in, in various ways, the floods do rise in all of our lives sometimes. Nobody has it easy. Even when we look to the rich, like sometimes I might look to the rich in Vienna and think, oh, they have it so easy, but everybody has their problems. Nobody has an easy life. Uh, everybody has, whether it's personal problems or family problems or problems at work, there's difficulties. And sometimes the fly, floods rise up. Sometimes we would describe it and find ourselves in the midst of huge waves that are lifted up far above our heads. We're overwhelmed. And yet, uh, as, as dangerous or even, you know, terrifying as situations like that can be, God should be our, our refuge, like it's written in, in Psalm 46. Just a great couple of verses, very well phrased, uh, as the Psalms always are rather poetic. But in Psalm 46, verses 1 to 2, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though, the worth, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. And there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. And it, it goes on, but yeah, that God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. So we ought not to, to fear. And I need him to be my refuge also. Uh, we all do. Um, <laughs> and it's just on a personal note for me as like kind of new to the, the role of being the pastor of the church, the, the, as it has been this past year, the co-pastor, uh, you know, I just learned that, hey, pastors do not have it all together. Like I used to look up to some pastors and think, wow, that guy has got it all together. But turns out that pe pastors are normal people too. Uh, we're not spiritual superheroes. Uh, we don't, you know, we haven't got it all figured out. 
and, you know, pray for your pastor. Pray for Pastor Mike and the other guys as they, they lead the church. They need that prayer as they, they try to study and the spiritual warfare comes and all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, we're, uh, we're not somehow all of a sudden super special once we receive that role of being the pastor. It doesn't like somehow all of a sudden change everything and, and we become superheroes or whatever. That's just not the case. So don't put your pastor on a throne or, or uh, on a pedestal, as it is said, but rather just recognize that he's a normal guy just like you and needs your prayer to teach uh, faithfully and also live faithfully day by day. Because it is true that there is a, a sense in which I found that spiritual warfare increases um, because, go figure, we're a target that Satan would want to tear down and rip apart. And uh, yeah, so it is a challenge. It is a burden. It is, there is a weight to it for sure. And I know for me, this past year, I just said, there was for sure a tendency I had to let myself become too busy especially between these different things that I was trying to do, continue with my ministry at the Oasis, refugee ministry, but also serve at church, kind of having to be involved in two very different ministries, and then to boot, like sometimes preaching uh, uh, with uh, a guy who's leading a small Arabic, Arabic fellowship. I'll preach at his church about once a month. Um, and just then different opportunities that come up sometimes, but... I know for me, looking back, I really found that I, I let myself become too busy. And so towards sometime this spring, I was, not that I was burnt out, it wasn't that, but it was just, I just noticed that my nerves were uh, rather fried and, and that came out sometimes in a, in a bad way and would just, you know, kind of somehow just get upset about the slightest small thing. And it was just rather sad and uh, disappointing uh, for me, for my family. And so I just recognized that, okay, I'm going to have to adjust things because this isn't working to, to be involved in, in so much. And yeah, like we, we read that the Lord must be our refuge. And it was so easy made that, to make that classic blunder in ministry of starting to do too much. You feel like, well, how could I say no? What a great opportunity. Preach at that Arabic church or uh, help out with this street outreach or whatever the opportunity might be. Uh, and yet it is important sometimes to, to say no because otherwise we'll just become busy, busy, busy and it's then hard to just sit still at the feet of the Lord and have that time of prayer to make the Lord our, our refuge. And Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 84, it talks about that we go from strength to strength but it's predicated by that the Lord is our strength. So it's like if the Lord is our strength, we will go from strength to strength. Um, it's not just going to be... a uh, type of thing where, oh, now you're a believer and you're, you're with the Lord. He's almighty. So the rest of your life, you're going to be always full of strength. Well, no, we do need to recharge. I think we all do. Whether you're in ministry or not, you're going to need to recharge in the Lord and, and be still before him and have that time where you're really letting him be your refuge instead of just a refuge that you don't really visit very often. Because then, like myself, You'll, you'll run out of strength. You will find your, your nerves reaching their end. Um, and I think the, that the Lord does refine us through such experiences, and we, we live, we learn as Christians how much is too much, 
Uh, and, and hopefully we, we take steps of faith and reach out to people, but there also is a time where we need, need a rest, need a break. So I know for me, <laughs> it's been a real blessing to be in New Jersey where there is a, a beach not too terribly far away, and so we've gotten to have a few days at the beach lately, and it was brilliant. Uh, it was a real blessing to have that time of, of rest and relaxation. Um, and also just a blessing for me because... I grew up in, in North Jersey. I grew up and lived here for years, too, in Ocean County and down in Tom's River, and it was just one of my favorite things in life to get to go to the beach. And in Austria, hey, of course, sometimes I miss it because we're landlocked. On the other hand, we have the Alps, so that's a blessing, too, but they're rather far away. Vienna's like this huge metropolis of a city, and you've got to travel for like an hour and a half at least to get to those mountains or to get to even the beginnings of the Alps. Anyway, uh, as the floods rise up, I hope and pray that we will take the time to still let the Lord be our refuge uh, because the Lord, he will use it in our lives to refine us, especially if we remain pliable, remain pliable in in the potter's hands, so to speak. Uh, We sometimes, we can stiffen our backs, right, and get upset against him, become bitter, that is not going to lead us to become more like Christ. But if, if we're able to remain, remain soft-hearted through it, remain soft-hearted through whatever the trial might be, I, I find that he will use that to make us more like Christ. This year I've been reading, well, not really this year, I, I put down the book for a long time, but just, re- just recently picked that up again, uh, a deep book from a, German pastor from like the 1800s and he wrote like 400 pages on the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know how he did it, but it's like quite something. And uh, so he, he shares from that moment in Luke 22. Friedrich Krumacher is his name. But uh, he shares from Luke 22 on this moment in which Jesus pretty much warns Simon Peter, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And so one, the floods were going to be rising up for him. This, these floods were going to rise up for, for Simon Peter soon. He would be challenged. Uh, and it's going to be, in this case, very clearly, Jesus is warning him that it's going to be some spiritual warf- warfare coming your way. Satan has asked for you, which is got to be pretty intimidating that Satan asked for him by name. But, yeah, Jesus, though, has prayed for him. So he, Jesus tells him, encourages him, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And so he's told that the trials are going to come. We all know they will come and do come in our lives too. Um, but this sifting separates the chaff from the wheat, so it is actually a good thing, for then only the grain remains, and it's not easy, but it is good. Um, And such trials also reveal our own weaknesses, just as they did for Simon Peter. Uh, He proclaims very enthusiastically, Lord, I'm ready to to go, go with you, both to prison and to death. So his, the enthusiasm was there, uh, for sure. The emotional fervor was there. Uh, and yet, 
he did deny him uh, when it came down to it. So those, sometimes those emotional, the emotional enthusiasm is, can prove to become a, a, a faulty support, right? Because it's, uh, emotions change all the time. Uh, in my life too, I don't know how many emotions I experience in the course of the day. Uh, they're, they're always changing. It's God's word that is unchanging. So let's grab hold of that because our emotions change a lot. Uh, his enthusiasm was there at the moment, but when challenged, he denied even knowing Jesus. And it's interesting too that uh, he then, Jesus then tells him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times. So the rooster really serves as a kind of wake-up call. No pun intended. Ha, ha, ha. But he is a wake-up call to realize at that point, oh my goodness, it happened. I really denied Jesus three times. He hears that rooster and weeps. It's later on in the chapter where Peter went out and wept bitterly when he hears that happen. He hears the rooster crow and realizes that it, it came true. I really did deny him three times. Um, and yet it was a turning point. That was a, a call, a spiritual wake-up call to, for him to repent. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we've all had that. We've all been at that point where there's been a, a wake-up call and we've had to repent, maybe even shed some bitter tears bitter tears of repentance and realize that there's something to change, and yet it's a good thing to have those tears of repentance and turn to the Lord and recognize that, yeah, I am weak. So he saw his own weakness through that. He saw that his emotions, the enthusiasm that he had wasn't enough to carry him through when it came down to it, and he realized that his, his confidence was not uh, enough. And... Um, yeah, so he was very humbled, very humbled. And um, so, yeah, when, when the, the trials come, when the, the, those floods, floodwaters rise, so to speak, don't try to just make it through on your own emotions and, and the next, you know, emotional high spiritually, but rather cling to, to the Scripture, find some promises in the Bible. The book of Psalms is full of great, promises that are unchanging, underline them, memorize them, and just don't let go of them. Uh, don't let go of the truth of the Lord and just cling to them. It, it can be really overwhelming sometimes. Um, this past season in, in my own life, it was really overwhelming. Part of the challenges was, uh, for me, being all the way over there in, in Vienna, and in the midst of doing all this ministry here in New Jersey, my elderly parents had to find a new place to live. This past spring, the, the home that they were renting, the owner decided she was selling it, so they had no choice but to move. And uh, it's not easy to find affordable housing in northern New Jersey. They're in, like, the Essex County area. I mean, it's wicked expensive, and they don't have that much money. So it was like, well, how are we possibly going to find a place? You know, you look at the black and white numbers, and I'm like, I don't know, Mom, uh, <laughs> but God knows... God cared for the people all the way back in the book of Exodus, uh, you know, and even before that, leading Abraham out through the wilderness. They, he led them. He provided for them. Um, 
I'm sure it wasn't always so comfortable in the desert, <laughs> in that wilderness, but they were looked after. And so I would try to encourage my family, but it took weeks and weeks of searching, and somehow a door opened up at this one apartment building, and lo and behold, they even found handicap accessible housing, which is what they need. It wasn't necessarily their first choice, you know. There's no big, lovely garden right out front for them to tend and well, for my mom to look after. Uh, my father is in a wheelchair at this point, and so he's quite immobile. And yeah, so it was a great, it was just a trial. And, and for me too, being so far away, I obviously couldn't answer all their problems. I couldn't, I mean, couldn't solve all their problems. Neither could I, were, that, were I even here, were I even right there around the corner. I wouldn't have been able to solve them even if I was nearby. I could help in some practical ways. My sister helps in an incredible amount of practical ways with them. Um, but yeah, it was just really uh, overwhelming being so far away. And, and so we prayed for them. But there were times where I was just strung out over it. And um, yet God came through once again, provided them housing, provided them with a place that somehow the owner of this, this, this particular apartment that they're in uh, decided not to raise the rent, even though he got new tenants. He, he kept the rent the same as the previous tenant. And sure, it didn't get renovated recently, but you know what? It's still a nice place, more than enough of what they need. And again, it's just a real answer to prayer that it's handicap accessible as well, that my father can be getting outside and is no longer housebound like he was in the old place where they were living this, this past year and a half. He was an invalid, so it was just a crying shame. But now they're in this other place, so it's a blessing. Uh, just to share another kind of blessing and a, t a testimony from, from another guy in our church in Vienna, uh, because, yeah, I have the opportunity, so may as well share a couple stories about, about the ministry over there. But this guy went through very different trials. Again, a young man from Iran. There's quite a few refugees that we encounter that came had fled Iran for one reason or another. In this case, it was full-on because he became a believer and was imprisoned. But he wasn't always a believer. He used to be Muslim. Then he was atheist because he was convinced that Islam was wrong. But he was then in this position of basically being an atheist and arguing that it's, it's all a lie. And so he, he met these other Christians. This is when he was still a young man, I believe, in his early 20s in Iran, he would, he would debate things with these Christian friends of his and go back and forth with them again and again. But they didn't convince him, but yet the truth that they shared was something that he thought about. So then he went to a, a demonstration. I don't know if it's always a good thing to do in a country like Iran, but uh, he went to a demonstration against the government and so a whole bunch of the people were imprisoned. Him and this other young man were actually brutal, brutally beaten by the police as they were getting arrested. So he was re more than banged up, um, knocked over the head, really properly physically injured, uh, these, these two young guys. And then in, tossed in prison. And it, he, so here he was in prison. He knew he was going to be facing charges, going to have to stand before a judge in a few days. So he's really praying. He's even praying in Jesus' name for help, that he would be set free somehow. And much to his surprise, that's exactly what happened. Him and the other young man who were beaten were the only two that were set free from all these people that had gotten arrested. And he just couldn't believe it. He was released. He didn't even have to go to court, didn't have to stand before the judge at all. And so that was the turning point in his, in his 
spiritual life and suddenly realized that God really does answer prayer. I was praying to Jesus, and here I am. I'm now a free man. Um, sometime later, he went to another demonstration, was put in prison again, and I think it was a little bit longer, but he again was released. Then, in the meantime, he was growing in this interest in faith, this growing faith, so he actually started going to the home group of these Christians. And um, he was invited and allowed to come and, and all. And so, wouldn't you know, though, that somebody who knew about it or had perhaps attended it, he's not even sure how, but the police found out about the location of that home group. And what, what tends to happen is as soon as the police figure out if someone is converted or if someone is a Christian, they might arrest them and detain them and really interrogate them. And it's really brutal. They'll threaten them with all sorts of things. And they're probably exaggerating, but they'll threaten to imprison the whole family and that kind of a thing if you don't give us more information. Anyway, whatever it was exactly that happened, he doesn't know, but the police were informed about the time and location of the home group. And so there, the next time they met, they were there in the middle of their Bible lesson, and all of a sudden it was the police at the door and uh, stormed in, and they were arrested. Thankfully, he ended up only having to spend three weeks in prison and then was released. But at that point, he realized this just isn't a safe uh, place to, to stay, and so he, he left uh, Austria. He left uh, Iran and came to Austria, and uh, thankfully as well, his, his asylum case was approved in Austria, and he's now uh, safely there and working and uh, attends our church. And he was one of the men that, we got, that got baptized this, this spring as well. But what, uh, what a trial that he went through. His, the, he experienced such waves, such a, a, a challenge, such a, such a flood. And we all experience different things. And for some, it's an intense, actual, full-on persecution like that. But it's, it's kind of relative. I know for us, whatever our trials are, it's difficult for, for where we're at. We don't need to, to um, somehow have a sense of guilt because we, we have it easier as Christians here in, in America or in Austria, for that matter. We, we live in, we're both in a, in a free country. And hopefully we just make the most of that freedom and, yeah, and share with our neighbor and... Yeah, take advantage of the freedom that we have in these countries because, yeah, a lot of other people don't. And there, well, there was one other story I wanted to share with you uh, from an Austrian, one of the other men that we baptized. Uh, there was five altogether this spring, which was the first time we had a baptism, I think, since before COVID started. So it's been a long time. Uh, during the whole season of COVID, at least in our case, it was more, more just the believers who were coming to church at least in our experience over there in Vienna. So it was like people who had been in the church for a long time, they were faithfully coming. We didn't have many new people showing up during the season of, of corona. Not that it's over now. I, I don't really mean to speak of it as a thing in the past. But um, at this point over there, we are in a season where they're not putting strict mandates on us. I don't know if you had heard, but at one point this past year, there was actually like a, they were on the brink of, of forcing people to take the vaccine. Uh, they didn't push that through in the end. They they dropped it, and it's it's now history. But they were on the brink of uh, re really truly requiring people to get the the vaccine or or face fines, face an actual like you'd get a, a 300 euro fine uh, each every three months is what they were talking about. If you didn't get it, you'd have a 300 euro fine. Three three months later, 
another, a new fine if you still refuse to get it. So that was big news. I believe it made the news even internationally, even though Austria is a small country of like 8 million people. This was a, a big deal. In the end, like I said, they didn't push it through. They dropped it There was there and, and all. And now things are fairly relaxed, almost to the other extreme of being really open. But in any event, um, we, had, we were rejoicing. We had this baptism. And one of the guys was, was from Austria. There was two from Afghanistan, two from Iran, and one from Austria. So perhaps it's a little bit of a spiritual picture of Austria at this point. <laughs> like, there's one new believer who's Austrian, and the others are foreigners, refugees from faraway countries that are excited about Jesus because it's all new to them. And they're not just bored with Jesus because they went to church once when they were 12 and didn't like it. And, and take it for granted that you can read the Bible and this kind of thing. These refugees really appreciate it and are passionate about it. In any event, uh, this one man, Johannes, he came out of the uh, New Age movement, New Age and yoga movement. So totally different, but he was himself um, a yoga teacher. He got to that degree, and yet in the end, he just found that it was empty, nothing but emptiness there. And yeah, he, he had some peace for, for a time when he was in the time of yoga and in, in that meditation maybe, but then as soon as that finished, he had to carry on with his life. And he was like, there was no peace. It didn't come with me. It was just like a bit of peace while I was still and, and, and meditating. But uh, the peace was not lasting. So some Christian friends gave him a Bible. He started reading it. It really stood out to him, struck him as something special, something really powerful. At one point, he just mentioned the name of Jesus to some of his yoga friends. And he was so surprised by how negatively they reacted. He couldn't believe it. It was almost, not, not, they weren't violent about it, but really reacted negatively towards him about just because he mentioned the name of Jesus. And he only just brought him up in conversation. He wasn't even a believer yet. Uh, but this reaction actually inspired him to look into Jesus more because he thought, why are they so upset about this? I, I just mentioned the name of Jesus. So anyways, he came to faith. He started reading his Bible more and more and, and left all of that behind. He threw out all of his materials, found a new job, and um, he was one of the men we baptized this spring too. So that was a joy. But uh, there's this other verse in, in Psalm 93 where it says, your testimonies are very sure. Here, he, of course, he's obviously speaking to God. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your, adorns your house, O Lord, forever. And as I share these testimonies, I hope it's an encouragement. I hope it's uplifting to hear about what God is doing. But at the same time... Uh, the, the testimony of Jesus himself is the one that's most important. I know I've heard it before. I've probably said it myself. Like, oh, you got to hear this guy's testimony. It's such a powerful testimony. Like, wow, how, did, how God changed his life is really amazing. And wow, it'll just blow you away, you know, kind of a thing. Um, and yet uh, the life of Jesus is the testimony. Uh, that is the one that really matters. And, you know, you got these, this series of, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but um, Heroes of the Faith series of books that are kind of written more for, for, for young, young adults and young children. But um, yeah, they, these are various missionaries and pastors and preachers who did great things and God really worked through their lives. But Jesus is the hero. Uh, Jesus is the one who is really the hero. And where would we be without his testimony after all? And when it comes to the, the testimony of Jesus, I know you're familiar with it because you have the entire New Testament to read through his life and see what kind of a testimony he had. Um, but if we just stop to think about it, 
that just to remember that his testimony is the one that matters most because you also can have some people who testify of finding a sense of peace in yoga who might say, no, but I've found some peace in yoga or I've found some, some peace in, in whatever they might try, whatever they might promote and all. But we have a testimony. They can, people cannot deny it, and yet the testimony of Jesus stands out unlike any other testimony for he existed from, from, from all time. He entered this world through a virgin birth, never sinned. He never needed a, a turning point because he never sinned. He taught the truth of God, healed many of sickness, paralysis, even raised some from the dead. He didn't need the Messiah because he is the Messiah. So he's the only person who didn't actually need the promised one because he is the promised one. He even himself said, if you think about it in light of a testimonial story of someone telling in their life, he said, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. And then in the book of Revelation, uh, there's some great stuff in Revelation chapter 1, but uh, Colossians chapter 1 is almost like a testimony of Jesus if you want to read it later. But uh, in, in Revelation 1, 17, 18, he, well, in Revelation 1, he says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And then he says, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Uh, so if he were here in our midst, as some people maybe share their testimonies and that kind of thing, if, he, if Jesus himself were there, it'd be like, wow, we all would just be more than blown away by his testimony, but would, of course, be, be bowing before him. And as... It's written, too, in, in Philippians chapter 2, that one day before him, every knee will bow. And yeah, he, he, of course, he willingly gave his life at the cross and rose again three days later. And it's in that that we find forgiveness, we find new life. Um, but he is, he is the hero of all of our testimonies, right? He's the one who's given us new life, so yeah. We all have our story. We all have our testimony. I don't mean to um, minimize them, but it's the testimony of Jesus that matters most. And so when you have those opportunities to share your testimony with people, be sure to also explain, that the, at least in briefly, the testimony of Jesus, what he did and what he stood for and who he is still, and because his testimony is, is most important. So... I'll leave it at that tonight. I think uh, that's probably about enough. But lastly, from the, the simple point that holiness adorns his house, yeah, I just encourage you to consider if holiness adorns your house. I hope it does. I hope you, you take that time to, to be in his word regularly, to remove whatever might not belong and um, let your dwelling, your house, be a place of holiness. I know none of us are perfect, but hey, there's all sorts of crazy stuff that can enter a house through the internet, through television, Netflix, and what have you, and clearly, very little portion of it is holy, <laughs> you could say. So uh, I just hope that we take his word seriously and take the holiness that he talks about seriously because he does tell us to, to be holy for I am holy. And we need his grace every day. That much is clear. But I hope we, we look at, 
who God is, look at how perfect, how almighty he is, and are, and are encouraged to, to follow as well as we can in his holiness, and that it could be said about our, our homes that there's something special there, that, you know, I know your neighbor might not walk away and think, wow, that was like a holy place. They might not, but they, hopefully they walk away and recognize that there's something special about your home. There's something different about it. And there might be some, there very well could be some practical changes you need to make to, to clean things up and get rid of this or that. And uh, whatever God calls you to do, I just pray that you entrust it to him and recognize that you don't need those unholy things to be happy. Uh, that's just a lie of Satan. So whatever you might need to get rid of, get rid of it and, and walk in his holiness and, and, and let your, your home be a, a place that is as holy as it possibly can be. We'll only be in a truly holy place once we're with him in heaven, but until then, let's do our best to, uh, to keep our lives and our homes holy. So let's pray, and um, should there be anything that you find you need to surrender to the Lord, I just pray you do that in your heart and pray with me and, and, and do that. Just surrender it to him. So God Almighty, we just come before you we bow before you in our hearts, at least, recognizing how much we need you. God, you are holy. There is no one like you. Jesus, your testimonies are unchanging and true, and your testimony is the most powerful one of all. So we just worship you and thank you for the new life that we have in you. And God, we just want to say that we need your help to change. We are weak, and yet you are strong. But I thank you, God, that you're with us, that you have grace for us. And I do pray, God, that you might help us all to clean up whatever needs to get cleaned up, that our, our hearts, our homes would be as holy as they possibly can be uh, by your grace, by your spirit. And help us entrust our, our happiness to you and recognize and trust that in you there is joy and that we don't need the things of the world to be happy. So God, just bless our hearts this day and uh, draw us closer to you, that we be intimate with you. And I do pray that you bring about opportunities for us to share your gospel, your truth with our, with our neighbors and those that we're connected with. In Jesus' name, amen.